welcome to episode 15 of In the Shadow of the Evening Trees. My name is David Von Ebers. And I'm Jennifer Von Ebers. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's been a little while. Um, we took a sort of an unintended break uh, after we got back from our vacation to Trying Ireland. Trying to ease back into um, reality. <laughs> right. We, uh, we talked uh, on our last episode about our trip to Ireland, and, and that was... Um, it was a lot more fun, um, you know, than a lot of the things that have been happening in the meantime. Yes. Um, we actually sat down to record a show last week, and it didn't work, um, which is kind of weird. No, it didn't work in part because, you know, things just sometimes are a bit overwhelming. And right now, uh, you know, it just seems like a lot of bad things are happening at the same time, and it's really hard to know what to say. So we started out, sat down, started talking, uh, and just really couldn't make a show out of it. It's not the kind of thing I suppose you should say if you're doing a Behind podcast. Behind the scenes. <laughs> but that was sort of the reality of it. So, um, but in any event, we're going to take another shot. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot going on and most of it's bad yeah, uh, or so it seems. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it does get a little bit overwhelming at times and it's ironic because, uh, <laughs> you know, my company, the company that I work for does these, uh, has these occasional like mental health days, uh, twice a year, I guess. And it so happened that last week we had one. Um, and it's nice. It's very nice to have a day off work. Um, it's also nice to sort of draw attention to it. But I got to say, with everything that's going on in the world, a day off of work just wasn't really the thing to solve to solve all our problems. When every like you know news feed is yeah. um, just you know just sharing everything that's been yeah. going on. No, I mean no. Uh, I, I'm not criticizing the company. I think it's a great thing to do. But honestly, I probably spent most of the day on social media, which is the exact opposite of taking care of your mental health, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where, you know, having the distraction of work probably would yeah. have um, alleviated some of that. But, it, pro- uh, it probably would have. It's no, it's, that's me. That's on me, not on the, on my employer. It's not their fault. But yeah. So to recap, since we got back from a vacation, Um, There was a leak of a U.S. Supreme Court decision that would overturn Roe versus Wade uh, that set off a lot of um, understandable anger. Um, And we can talk about that a little bit. Um, There have been just, you know, increasing um, bad faith political attacks on, you know, just about every marginalized group you can think of. Of course, you know, the Supreme Court, um, uh, if they ultimately decide to overturn Roe versus Wade, is obviously an attack on women and, and anyone you know who can get pregnant. That can include trans and non, non-binary people too. Definitely. Um, we've had this just you know constant onslaught of people using terms like groomers to you know to describe uh, queer people. Um, we've had this, uh, you know, this crazy, um, what do they call it? Replacement theory, where you've got people claiming that 
Democrats, um, but not, I guess, not necessarily just Democrats, are trying to bring in, you know, non-white people from other parts of the country, non-white immigrants to replace white people, which is pretty bizarre because um, I'm not sure that just because someone comes here from like, you know, Mexico or Syria or India, then somehow or another white people start to disappear. Yeah. But anyway, that's not really the point. The point is it's racist and it's obnoxious. And uh, so then that led to the third thing, other than, you know, the the potential for Roe versus Wade being overturned and just this increasingly insane level of political attacks against marginalized people. Then we had this uh, gunman in Buffalo inspired by these um, replacement theory conspiracy theory uh, folks uh, go on a shooting rampage in which he shot 13 people and killed 10. As I understand it, all 10 of the victims are black. Yes. He was specifically targeting black people. He not only traveled to Buffalo, which has a sizable black population, but he went to a location in Buffalo that was predominantly black. He went to a grocery store that was predominantly black. He knew there'd be lots of people shopping because it was a weekend, you know, as people do their grocery shopping on a weekend. And he murdered 10 innocent people because they were black. And I actually read that he was like pretending to be like a homeless person outside of the grocery store the day before, like sitting on a bench and like asking for money or whatever. And then they shoot him away. But he was like casing the joint. Yeah. On his um, rifle. He had all kinds of racist slogans uh, painted in sort of like whiteout on the on the black uh, you know barrel of the gun. So it had the N word and it said something about reparations and things like this. So you know he didn't leave really any doubt about his motivation. Well, and I was telling David like for somebody who's that age to purchase that weapon. I'm assuming that you have to do it in person. Like you can't just order that online. I don't know. But like how how does the person who's selling that kind of thing not question like what is this going to be used for? Or do they not care? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's the answer. I don't think they care. And, you know, we mentioned the Supreme Court earlier um, and that, you know, they're a part of the problem here because, um, you know, going back to 2008 in the Heller case and then a couple years later in the McDonald case that involved the city of Chicago and our hometown the village of Oak Park where we used to live um, in the Heller and McDonald cases the Supreme Court said for the first time that people have the Second Amendment creates a personal right to own firearms and the Heller case said that the federal government couldn't uh, uh, ban people from owning handguns and so forth. And the McDonald case said that it also applies to state and local governments. So, you know, we have virtually no protection. Um, You know, I keep seeing people say things like, well, you know, New York State has the strictest gun laws in the country, and yet this guy was able to legally buy a gun and shoot up a place. So gun control doesn't work. Guess what? There's no such thing as strict gun regulations anymore. The Supreme Court flushed that down the toilet in the Heller and McDonald cases, right? There are no strict gun laws. There may be some states and some municipalities that have, you know, a few more regulations on the books, but the courts continually gut any effort to control guns, number one. Number two, 
uh, even if a locality can sort of, you know, come up with something that would survive a Supreme Court challenge and put something in place to try to stem the tide of guns, the adjacent communities are, you know, right there to supply all the guns uh, anybody needs. We, we know, you know, when Chicago had a handgun ban, uh, guns were flowing into the city from Indiana. So this piecemeal approach doesn't work anyway. But by the way, I mean, that's another thing. So, so um, part of, you know, this uh, sort of multi-level or multi-layered attack, um, thinly veiled racist attack on big cities uh, like Chicago and New York, like, um, you know, Detroit and New Orleans and Los Angeles. And what do all those cities have in common? Of course, they have substantial percentage of the population is black and from South and Central America and so forth. But um, one of the constant uh, themes is, you know, oh, the crime is out of control. Gun violence is out of control. Yeah, well, you prevented us from doing anything about those things, right? Um, and while people love to say, hey, you know what, gun control doesn't work because you know, the, the statistics show that the states and cities with strict rules and strict laws and regulations still have a high incidence of gun violence and murders committed with guns. Okay, but here's what they don't tell you. Since the Supreme Court struck down any effort to ban handguns on the federal or state or local level, murder rates have steadily increased. So if you're going to say strict gun control doesn't work and strict gun control, um, you know, doesn't prevent guns, how do you account for the fact that we've had an explosion of gun murders, gun crimes and gun murders and gun violence in a city like Chicago after, after the Supreme Court struck down our handgun ban? You can't say gun control doesn't work when the lack of gun control has led to an explosion in yeah. murders here, okay? And that's the weird thing about living near Chicago for so long. It's like, it wasn't commonplace, but kind of like listening to the news. We stopped watching the news at night just because it's just all bad um, news. But like all the violence that happens in Chicago near, I mean, just miles from our house, um, is just ridiculous and that it just seems like that was just a normal normal commonplace just to like nonchalantly just talk about it on the news well and that's that's the problem is the media um you know the the old slogan if it bleeds it leads right they love to talk about this stuff they love to talk about um you know the statistics and the numbers um but meantime you know they don't talk about what can be done to solve the problem. They're constantly in, in Chicago on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. There are marches, there are protests, there are organizations doing everything they possibly can to stem uh, the tide of gun violence, but you don't hear about those people. Uh, now, to be fair, the local media in Chicago does cover some of that, but you were always hearing, you know, this, um, you know, the, the sort of racist dog whistles about what about black on black crime and why don't, you know, people in the community do anything about it. They're constantly doing yeah. something about it. You know, there are people who spend their whole lives focused on trying to, you know, bring opportunity to uh, communities and to, you know, stem the tide of violence and, and so forth. 
And the, those efforts end up failing because nobody cares outside the city of Chicago. Nobody cares outside the black neighborhoods. They don't really care. White folks in particular, let's be blunt about it, don't really care if guns are flowing into these neighborhoods. Because it's like not their problem. Right. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I think some white folks enjoy this. I'm going to be blunt about it. I think that some white folks enjoy this. Um, but anyway, uh, we're not going to just talk about gun violence because um, the issue in, pardon me, the issue involving what happened in Buffalo is more than just random gun violence. I mean, it's also, you know, the byproduct of violent rhetoric. You know, violent rhetoric. That's what it is. When people start saying they're trying to replace us with, you know, non-white people, that's implicitly violent. I don't care, you know, how many bow ties Tucker Carlson wears on Fox News to try to appear to be, you know, all genteel or whatever the heck he thinks he's, he's doing. He is intentionally spurring violence. He knows it. Um, and... And, you know, yeah, he's sort of being called out about it uh, now, but this has been going on for ages, you know. And this is the thing that you, know, you would think in the age of social media and the Internet, um, we might possibly have less, uh, you know, racist violence and less, uh, fewer attacks on marginalized people because we'd be able to see who those people are who are making those threats and who are saying this crazy stuff because they're saying it out in the open, whereas in the past it was always in the shadows, right? So you'd think shining a light on what's happening in social media and what's happening on the internet would actually have you know, a positive effect, uh, sort of like a disinfectant effect, right? Because exactly. if we could see what people were saying, we could react to it and deal with it. But in a way, it's almost had the opposite effect because what's happened is all of these, you know, vile messages attacking queer people and their supporters as being groomers, talking about replacement theories, you know, all this you know, barely coded racism about black on black crime and so forth. All of this stuff has become mainstreamed, right? Instead of the internet and social media shining a big light on the problem, it's had almost the opposite effect. Now it's like people say, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a guy on Fox News or it's just you know, a politician over here or a politician over there. Those, you know, the, the most extreme points of view now seem to be in the mainstream of conservative thinking in America. You know, we're old enough to remember the days when, you know, black people uh, uh, were demonized as being, you know, criminals or, or whatever. We're old enough to remember the days when gay people were demonized as predators and so forth. We lived through all that stuff. Yeah. We, you know, like a lot of white people, naively thought things were getting better. Um, but now what we once thought of as being, you know, extreme um, ideas and things that, well, you know, only a certain small segment of society really believe. Now these things are like mainstream. And yeah, I know, you know, people are going to, 
hear this and say, well, you were dumb because we know this always existed. We know this was always a much bigger thing than people wanted to let on. And that's true, right? That's true. But the, the ability of people to communicate and share their thoughts um, through social media and so forth, it does not seem to have had the effect of curtailing this stuff. You know, it almost like fuels the fire a little bit, you know, right. people just glom on yeah. and then comment and then that whole thing and these chat rooms and like secret right. places that people are talking about this stuff. You think about, you think about Timothy McVeigh back in the mid 1990s, you know, that was really, be, I mean, you know, yeah, sure. The internet existed and email existed, but not obviously the way it does today. And that patriot movement that he was a part of back in the, in the 90s um you know these folks were by and large in the shadows they seemed to be on the fringes uh, most of us didn't even know they existed until he came along he was inspired by a book called the turner diaries which is a racist book uh you know about a race war um and and that's what inspired him to go and blow up a building and kill 168 people one person in the shadowy move movement that most of us were unaware of reading one book was able to blow up a building and kill 168 innocent people with essentially the help of only one other person right. i mean it wasn't like he was part of some you know um terrorist organization he did it on his own now you've got you know millions of people sharing horrible ideas through the internet and through social media. Um, so if we honestly think, if anybody honestly thinks that violent rhetoric where we attack groups of people, whether we're talking about black folks, whether we're talking about women, whether we're talking about, you know, LGBTQ plus people, whether we're talking about immigrants, it doesn't matter. If you're constantly demonizing people, there's going to be more Timothy McVeigh's out there. And they have much more access to that violent rhetoric, and they're going to act. And you know, this isn't this isn't some kind of anti-First Amendment uh, thing. I'm not saying that people should be censored. I'm just saying we got to wake the heck up and recognize what's going on. Yeah, and especially for that kid, uh, you know, having being so young, to you had to have that, I believe, in his household, in his community around him because uh, you just don't automatically like veer that far off from right. what your family's views are so um and for them to say that they were unaware of him stockpiling selling yeah. coins to raise money I and mean, it's just like insane oh, yeah i don't believe any i don't of that, either to be honest with you so i mean the thing is so i said earlier tonight we were talking about doing this and i, and I said you know i'm tired and i'm angry <laughs> right and, and I and I am I am um, and and I think um, I think what they want and by they I mean you know the haters the people who who push hate who attack our community who attack the black community who attack marginalized people generally they want us to be tired okay they want us to be exhausted they want us to be overwhelmed anger. Um, it can be a double-edged sword, uh, obviously, but anger is sort of like the thing that they're not counting on in some in some respects. I mean, and it's a challenge, right? It's difficult to know how to express anger in a good way. But I think probably, I think about this probably every single day, 
you know, my favorite artist was Joe Strummer. My favorite band was The Clash. And there's a line in the song Clampdown where uh, Joe Strummer wrote, let fury have the hour. Anger can be power. You know that you can use it, right? And I think, you know, since I first heard that song in probably 1979 or something like that, I thought about that phrase every single day. And And I'll tell you why. It's not because I think you should you know, get mad and break stuff and smash things and all that. But what he was talking about, I think, was figuring out how to use, you know, legitimate, justified anger uh, in a constructive way. And that's a real challenge. That's the hardest thing. But you, you I, I don't think there's been a time in, in my, in, well, I was going to say in my lifetime, that's not true. I don't think there's been a time in recent years where I felt like anger was such a justified response, right? Being mad at, you know, uh, this uh, onslaught of attacks on marginalized people, being angry about it, I think that's the right response. How you express it is a different story, right? Um, You know, you don't want to give in to the kind of rage that leads someone to go and, you know, shoot up a a bunch of innocent people like this jerk did in... uh, you know, jerk is such a weird, weak term yeah. to describe it, like this racist uh, did in uh, Buffalo. But anger is, is I think, in some ways, the right response. It's how do you express it in a way that's like constructive and not destructive. Um, and what 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 I think about is I don't know if you know if you've seen it. Um, it's a lot of people have seen this sort of. It's almost a viral video of this young woman from Michigan. She's a state senator. Her name is Mallory McMorrow. Um, she's this, uh, you know, Irish-American, um, Notre Dame-educated uh, suburban mom who ran as a Democrat and, and got elected to the Michigan um, state legislature. And she got tired of, <laughs> fed up with, uh, you know, attacks coming from her Republican opponents in Michigan and being called a groomer because she supports, you know, gay rights and trans rights and so forth and being attacked because she believes in, um, you know, teaching the truth about American history, even even the bad parts, even the racist parts and so forth. And so she got mad and she gave a speech on the, on the floor of the uh, Michigan legislature, Michigan Senate, I guess, which was extraordinary. And when I say she got mad, I mean, she didn't raise her voice. She didn't curse. She didn't, you know, but she gave the maybe one of the bluntest speeches I've ever heard. Um, Totally appropriate, you know, totally professional, but it was phenomenal. She just absolutely pushed back. And it was like, you know, she was not going to take it anymore. And she told off and she named names. You know, the, 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 uh, there was a Republican woman who'd called her a groomer and this, that, and the other thing. Again, just because she supports, you know, marginalized people. But what was interesting, too, was not just the very pointed tone of her speech. And it was brilliant, by the way. Google it. Look it up. Her name is Mallory McMorrow. Um, uh, as I said, she's in the Michigan State Senate. Uh but what was great about it was she didn't just she wasn't just angry and she wasn't just talking about being, you know, personally insulted by these unhinged attacks. 
She also pointed out, um, you know, that as a white person, she felt like she had an absolute responsibility uh, to, to, you know, want her kids to learn the truth in school and to defend, uh, you know, marginalized people. She's straight, you know, and uh, felt like, you know, it's her obligation as a straight person to defend people who aren't straight and to stand up to, to um, you know, different forms of prejudice because she has the privilege to be able to do that. And it was just, it was phenomenal. And a great example of using anger in a positive way. Right, exactly. And, you know, afterwards, you know, I saw a lot of people say, well, you know, Democrats need to do more of this. And I'm not, you know, I, I don't know anything about uh, messaging or, or, you know, PR or how to phrase things exactly the right way to win votes. You know, that's, I, you know, that's not where I'm coming from. But I, what, what she did do was, I think, you know, draw a line and say, I'm not taking it anymore. And I'm going to tell you what I think of you. Right. And I'm going to tell you what I think of all of this nonsense. And it was, it was fantastic. Um, it was, it was really well done, but it's not just, you know, I, I kept hearing people say, Oh, Democrats need to do this. And I wanted to say, hold on. It's not just Democrats. Yeah, sure. It'd be great if more politicians spoke this plainly and bluntly and could express this kind of righteous indignation the way she did. It'd also be great if all of us did that in the, in the, you know, in the right way. And, you know, you can only do what you have the mental capacity for. You can't, make yourself crazy by going around, you know, uh, starting fights with people and that yeah. sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, what I thought was good about it was her recognition of that responsibility. We have to take responsibility. So, um, you know, tired and angry um, might not necessarily be such a bad thing uh, if you could figure out a way to channel that anger in the right way. Uh, but Joe Strummer was right, you know, anger can be power, not, you know, uh, not just jerky white guys yelling and screaming in the grocery store about having to wear a mask or some nonsense like that, right. not road rage, not, you know, people flipping each other off or wearing, you know, uh, flying giant flags that say F Joe Biden. That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's destructive anger. But, um, again, this speech uh, is an example it doesn't have to be exactly what she said or how she said it but it's an example of of you know sort of doing things the right way and pushing that. back and not and just you know we don't have to take this nonsense if somebody you know nobody has the right to call you a groomer or to make false accusations or to claim um you know that you're trying, you know, you're trying to wipe out white people in America or whatever the nonsense is. Although I should, I should rephrase that. They actually do have the right to do that under the First Amendment, right? And I'm not suggesting that they don't. But they don't have the right to do it consequence-free, right? They don't have the right to do it without the pushback. And I keep thinking about that dumb New York Times op-ed that we talked about several episodes yes. back where they said, there's a quote-unquote free speech problem because people were shaming other people for their opinions. You right. know what? Shame away. Shame them all. Get in, well, rhetorically speaking, get in <laughs> their faces, right? Don't take it anymore. 
um, you know, don't don't be a jerk, but don't take it anymore. You know, we need to call them out. The New York Times uh, in their much discredited op-ed was dead wrong because they would have had us treating, you know, the opinions of the Buffalo racist murderer as though they were somehow valid. And, oh, don't shame him. Don't make him feel bad for being a racist person who wants to kill black people. Right. No, no, I'm sorry. I am going to make him feel bad if I have the opportunity. Yes. I'm going to make people feel bad if they're if they call gay people groomers, if they try to criminalize, you know, uh, being transgender or parents who want to get medical help for their transgender kids or whatever. If you take that position, if you say that aloud in public, you bet we're going to make you feel bad about it. Heck yeah. You know, that's one thing I keep thinking about, uh, you know, with all these anti-trans bills and all this stuff attacking gay people and LGBTQ people is like, you know, they're not just attacking this sort of abstract idea or some group of people that's distant from them. They're attacking parents, right? They're attacking parents. And you attack parents enough, someday it's going to come back to haunt you. So that's the thought I would leave people with. You know, don't think that by attacking marginalized people, you're not, you know, engendering an angry response. And, you know, you may not like how that turns out. That's true. And it's like one of those things where you just feel like, you know, we can't just live in a bubble and pretend like all this isn't happening around us, you know, and take some sort of action. Yep, that's exactly right. Well, anyway, uh, I'm still angry, um, but um, we're, we've reached our half hour. We've reached our half hour, and we so. appreciate you listening to us, and we'll continue on the other topics we were talking in our next episode. How about that? All right. Very good. Uh, thanks for listening. Feel free to leave a comment. You can listen to us anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.